Hey folks, well, it's time for a podcast. I don't know any other way to do this. So, it's a crazy world. Uh, This morning, woke up, heard some more news that some people in France have been killed in another terrorist attack of some sorts. And uh, this has just added to many of the crazy things that have gone on this year. I've been pretty quiet. I've been trying to listen. I've been deep in thought. I haven't talked much in person or online with people about these things. But now I needed to arrange some thoughts and get them off my chest. So here I go. Uh, I want to talk about the terrorist attacks, but I don't want to talk about them. Uh, I want to talk about the Dallas shootings, but I don't want to talk about Dallas. I want to talk about Orlando but I don't really want to talk about Orlando. I want to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and black culture, but I don't really want to talk about those things. Um, I want to talk about transgender bathrooms (laughs) and the gay rights movement. I don't want to talk about those things. I want to talk about the presidential election, but I don't really want to talk about the presidential election at all. Um, really, I want to talk about the thing. See, because there's lots of little things that get our attention on a week-to-week basis, but there's really one thing. Uh, most of our country, and increasingly the Western world that sort of feeds off of America, is caught into this addictive 24-hour news cycle that's like a buzz, like a hit of cocaine that sucks us into a story. And we read about it, we go through the gamut of emotions from fear to anger to uncertainty to sadness. We develop opinions. We get on social media because we can't stay silent. We're human. We inevitably spiral into some sort of arguing and debating about how to solve problem X. And then we often lose a friend or three. And that's okay. We don't care because I can't really be friends with them anyways if they're going to believe XYZ about issue number 348. And we drive ourselves deeper and deeper into this lonely place of isolation, and then we go turn on the news for another hit. (laughs) We are a sick, unhealthy country, and it's spreading to the rest of the world. What makes me sad uh, is that there are a ton of brilliant, amazing people out there that when things happen... Uh, immediately start to dissect it and devolve into an acute debate about an acute problem and come up with acute solutions. Um, We are good at this. We live in an accountability culture that always loves to find the culprit behind things and call people and systems to account. We're pretty much experts at tracking down who's to blame and figuring out how to solve it. And, uh, you know, it gets a hold of us if we're not careful. And so what makes me sad is that even like the best of minds that I've heard recently still are focused on one tiny 
portion of the big problem that's going on and we're devouring each other over it, trying to come up with debates and then just backing ourselves into corners. Like uh, one of my favorite speakers of all times just uh, a few weeks ago when the Orlando shooting happened came out with a really brilliant piece on um, what we should do and what our reaction should be to Orlando. And there were so many amazing good things that were said in that. And then at the end of it, sort of the takeaway, the crescendo was like, and so we can have responsible gun control laws passed in this country. And I was like, oh no, not there. You're going there. And it's not that I disagree with this particular person on gun control. We actually probably, if you asked us what gun control law should we have, we'd probably pretty much agree. But I'm like, no, not you two. You are going down the road of trying to solve it by this little bitty solution. And, and it's like we've given up hope on the big picture. It's like we don't think we can really solve it anymore because we're so zoomed in on this one little piece of it. And you're like, well, we'll just solve this part of the problem. But we don't have in our culture, in our society, in America, in the Western world, we don't have like a whole bunch of little bitty problems as much as we have one big problem that spins off thousands of little problems. We are like a 400-pound man who goes into the doctor's office and asks the doctor, or gets a physical, and finds out that he's got high blood pressure, and then leaves the doctor's office and uh, goes out immediately with the doctor's advice in hand to go research if that's going to be the solution or not, if the medication prescribed is going to work. If there are other alternative medications out there, maybe he should go visit one of these naturalist stores. And then he gets on Facebook, debates about it with all his friends, goes through all kinds of inner dialogue, becomes an expert on blood pressure medication, and then goes to sleep forgets about it because he's a pretty distractible guy, as we are. And then the next day, he gets up, he goes to a different doctor, finds out he has high cholesterol, and then does the same thing. Goes home, researches all the high cholesterol medications, figures out which ones are best and which ones have the fewest side effects, fills his fat brain up full of knowledge about high cholesterol medications, has all the debates with his friends online, and then goes to sleep, forgets about it, wakes up, goes to another doctor, he's got the onset of type 2 diabetes, and he does the same thing the next day, and you see where that goes, and at the end of the day, you want to grab the guy by the shoulders, look him in the eyes, and say, dude, why don't you figure out what's causing you to be 400 pounds, and let's work on that. Like you can become an expert about managing every tiny little symptom that you have that's an outgrowth of the big problem or you can just address the big problem. And how many of us have given up on the big problem in our country? I mean like we are 
overweight and unhealthy in so many different ways. One of them is, yeah, uh, yeah, I've been doing a metaphor, but we are physically overweight. Like one third of us are obese. Two thirds of us are overweight. That would be three fourths of men are overweight in this country. Now, we get really focused on these news cycles uh, stories and the news stories that come out are almost always little isolated incidents that are happening that are involving 50 people here, 20 people here, and they are absolutely devastating to the communities. I don't want to like shrink the uh, the size of those problems or like diminish the scope of that locally, but nationally, I want us to open our eyes and, and see the bigness of the big problem. We've got three-fourths of American men need to lose weight. We've got, I'm going to run through several different ways in which we're unhealthy, and I just want you to think about the sheer numbers, okay? There are 320-ish million Americans, okay? 10% of us are alcoholics, 30% of us have been at some point in our lives, but 10% of us right now are alcoholics. The average of those 10% are drinking somewhere upwards of possibly 70 drinks per week. That's 10 a day. 10 alcoholic drinks a day. So much so that those 10%, you think about the massive amount of cost associated with that. I'm not just talking about financial cost. I'm just talking about cost associated with being an alcoholic and letting that ruin your life. What's the cost of broken relationships? What's the cost of divorce? Like, think about it. If alcohol is destroying your family... And you get a divorce. I'm not just talking about like the lawyers and stuff. Think about 10 years later when you're still carting kids back and forth. And all of the roundabouts that you've taken where you've gone out of your way and spent extra time, money, energy, emotional uh, capital on your broken family. Because it all stems back to you had some sort of addiction. Like, think about the cost of that when you add the ripple effects of it into your family. And a full 10% of us, 32 million people are struggling right now or having their lives wrecked by alcohol. And then when you think about it this way, uh, the statistics would say that if those 10% of people got healthy, just moderated their drinking down to a level that was healthy, the alcoholic beverage industry would lose some 50 to 60% of its sales. And it makes you wonder, like, do, do they even really want people to get healthy? Because you've got a whole industry that's propped up on 10% of the population being sick. You've got a whole industry that needs and thrives people, thrives on people who are sick, which makes me think about psychotropic meds, right? One out of five of us are on psychotropic meds. That's close to 50 million Americans on psychotropic meds. One out of four women are on some sort 
of mood-altering, mind-altering medication. All right, I can go on and on and on with statistics that will say there's a segment of the population that's totally enslaved or has their life controlled by something. Okay, video games. There are uh, 10% of the kids in this country that are playing over four hours every day of video games. Do you want to add up the cost of that when you let your kid play four plus hours of video games every day? for their entire youth, what that does to them psychologically as an adult, what that's going to do to them, not just lost productivity, but just in diminished humanity. And so, like, there are all sorts of ways that we are sick and we're out of balance. We are uh, reporting to be the loneliest generation in the history of this country, even though we have thousands of ways to connect to the people around us. We have all of these different ways that we're unhealthy, but they're all being driven by the same So if you could picture like in your mind a watch, if you were to open it up, uh, one of the old school ones with the big gears in it. And so you got this giant gear. By the way, if you're a watchmaker, I know I'm going to butcher this up, but I take uh, quite a bit of uh, solace in knowing that there's not going to be a watchmaker listening to this. But um, if you had one giant gear that were driving all of these tiny little gears around, uh, around it... And it were creating lots of different effects. So like one of the small gears over on the side may be mass shootings. And one of them may be broken families. One of them may be alcoholism. One of them may be obesity. But this giant gear is driving all of them to produce those end results. That's what's happening in our country. And so, like, whenever some sort of report comes out, whenever some sort of article breaks, whenever a news story breaks, and it comes out, it's going to highlight the effect of the little gear that's turning. And we all jump on that thing and we say, well, how do we regulate this so that we make it more efficient? How do we pass more laws? What would be sensible legislation so that we can control in a very systematic way this outcome that we don't really like? This way that would sort of keep us in control the whole time and not risk losing anything that we have so that we can solve that. And the problem is, is we're trying the same top-down control method that got us into the mess in the first place. Here's a stat. 0.1% of us own as much wealth as the bottom 90% combined. Yeah, I know Bernie Sanders said it. He was right. 0.1% of us. So, like... Best I can do with this, if you're not great with numbers, you got a thousand people lined up. Nine hundred of them combined own as much as the top one guy. One person gets however much money, the nine hundred get that much money divided amongst them. 
crazy. 1% of the country owns 40% of the wealth. We have gotten ourselves to this point, and it is driving everything. The economy, the transactions that are made between people, yeah, usually financial, but also with our time and, and emotions and with our energy and everything else. That's the economy. It's what we're all connected by. It's our transactions that take place day to day. To day. That system has ended up putting all of us in the places we're at today, and it's created all sorts of fear and anger and chaos and all the things that we're seeing on the daily news cycle. It's creating even international problems such as uh, ISIS who thinks they're doing a great good by attacking the great evil American empire. It is driving everything. Um, Great example, a a lady came to our church a few weeks ago and was sort of uh, touting her nonprofit. And they do an amazing work in our local community among girls who have been sex trafficked because that is a huge problem and the statistics are mind-boggling. Girls are leaving home at 12 and 13 years old and they're getting hooked up uh, with these guys who end up making lots of money off of them and they're servicing dozens of men a week. They get carted around the country a lot of times and they might end back up in their hometown and so this nonprofit is trying to save girls out of that that don't want to be in that, give them an alternative way of living. And so one of the interesting things was there's an attorney that was talking to us who uh, now works for them. And she was saying that uh, after four or five years, this nonprofit has discovered that it's not just the problem with the girls who somehow gave in and said yes, that there's a systemic problem and that leads back into the men and how they feel about themselves. Because if you know this about men, I interact with these boys at school who will turn into these men. I interact with their families all the time. And I can tell you, this is what she said is true, that if you don't give a man an opportunity to do something good and useful for the world, if you don't give them the education necessary, if you don't give him an opportunity to be paid a a decent amount to provide for his family, he will turn into an aggressor and go after that in ways that are completely unhealthy. And he will turn into an oppressor as he will oppress people with whatever means necessary in order to get the type of life that he feels like he should have. And so what we've got is an entire system of boys that we're raising up that we're not really successfully able to educate. They, we turn them out into the system. They've got nothing to do with their lives other than work an $8 an hour job at Wendy's or they've got these friends over in the ghetto that are doing X, Y, and Z that is unhealthy and in so many ways bad for people. But that's better than the alternative of turning into what they think of as a loser. Did you know that uh, in Texas they actually calculate the amount of prison space needed 10 years from now? One of the things that they throw into the calculation is third grade reading scores. Because we can see it happening at an early age. And so these men that turn into oppressors that end up sex trafficking women and pimping women around the country, 
They just needed a good job. They just needed to feel worthy. They just needed something good with their time to do and people to appreciate who they were. And they're not getting that. And so you've got all of these companies that are trying to get the best bang for their buck in workers who are refusing to pay people a good living wage. And it's created this system right here where these guys are going to go out and do these things. And what's crazy to me is in the end of it, you'll have some company, some big corporate organization that's going to donate a lot of money to this nonprofit, and they're going to advertise somewhere in some magazine about how amazing they are because they're fighting sex trafficking when they may be part of the problem in the first place by refusing to pay people a decent living wage, and they may be driving the sex trafficking by their practices by trying to be the best bang for their buck and beat out their competition and yet they'll walk away getting a pat on the back for being some company that cares about America. It's crazy to me. Um, did you know that in countries where there is greater wealth inequality, um, they actually um, they have a whole host of societal problems, but the ones with the greatest inequality also have the lowest life expectancy among the rich. It's, it's really wild how it affects people. But you know, rich people are affected just as much as poor people. And I am not here to blame any one person because it is not the rich people's fault. I just want to talk about just America. The messes that we have going on right now, they are the fault of 320 million of us and our ancestors. This is the result of 200 plus years, several hundred years of collectively selfish choices. Like, it started with little things like 300 years ago when people would just sort of brush aside that annoying little voice in their head that said, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to buy people and use them for slaves. Nah, that's okay. And so brush that little thing aside and that allows you to go over to Africa and buy shiploads of people, bring them back and use them for our own economic gain, which helped build the foundation for all of the white privilege that is enjoyed today and the wealth inequality that still exists 200 years later between the races. That was a bad idea, but you know what? We haven't stopped with those little decisions since then. Yeah, we've become more consciously aware of them, but you know... We make little decisions all the time that perpetuate people not being treated fairly, that perpetuate wealth inequality, that gives to the rich, that drives a wedge between the wealthy and the poor, that keeps poor people oppressed, that keeps rich people exalted. You do it when you shop on Amazon.com because they have a 50 cent cheaper price than somebody else. And you just don't care which of the people get your money. That's a little bitty choice that you know is enabling other people. And so, like, I, that's one of mine. So I'm going to just be honest with you. Um, you know, whenever you buy that cute little $4 blouse at Old Navy, you know that there are shortcuts that had to be taken to make that thing, to make that so cheaply. 
either some forest is getting cut down somewhere that's not going to be replaced to grow cotton in the fields or there's somebody in Vietnam who's not being paid a decent living wage or who's being taken advantage of, you know there are shortcuts that are being taken all along the way so that you could have your cute little $4 blouse. And you know, um, if you're a business owner, let me talk to you for a second. Uh, It's also your fault. It's the consumer's fault, but it's the business owner's fault. You know you can't, uh, you, you tell people that, you know, if you can't get the job done for $12 an hour, I'll find somebody who will. And you know that nobody can live on $12 an hour without sucking off of the government or people at large. Like, so when you hire people, you're actually going ahead and sucking off of the rest of society because you refuse to pay them a living wage. And you're hiring people to do things for you that you would never do for the price that you're paying them. And yet you expect them in their situation to, um, to just accept it. And so, listen, I know the plight of employers. I've got lots of friends who are business owners, and they're like, well, this business couldn't exist without skimping on worker salaries, without having to make some kind of cut somewhere. And it's the same plight of consumers. Well, my family couldn't eat if we didn't buy $4 shirts, or if we bought the, the nice groceries from the local place, then we wouldn't be able to eat. And let me tell you something about both of those. They're feeding off of each other, whether you're an employer, an employee, a consumer, all of the above. If you're an employee, by the way, and you're working and you're going, well, you know, this business will make it even if I don't give it my best today, and you're draining on that business because you're playing Facebook all day, or you're on Facebook all day, you don't play it, (laughs) then listen, you're part of the problem. It's all of the little selfish things that we do Every day that continues to create inequality and injustice. So whether you're an employer, an employee, a consumer, or all of the above, I don't know your situation, but I do know this, that you're human. And here's what we're really good at. We're really good at overstating the direness of our own situation and how in, in slightly twisting reality towards our own advantage. We're all good at that. If you're an employer, you're probably not going to go out of business if you treat your workers a little bit better and sacrifice a little bit more for them so that they know that they're valued. If you are a consumer, you're not going to go without food because you had to pay extra for something. If you're an employer, an employee rather, you are still going to survive even if you give it all you got during the day and you don't distract yourself with your own personal pursuits because you know that your employer can't make it with you being a drain on them. See, we've all got choices every day. We've got choices to make every day. And when you add up all of the dozens or hundreds of choices that we make a week, about what to buy, about how to treat our employees, about where we go, about whether or not we get that latte or whether or not we just make some coffee at home or drink water. (laughs) If we'll start to make all of those choices with other people in mind, that's the only way that we're going to get out of a situation where people are driving 
the economy to produce a huge gap between the rich and the poor. I've got no quick solutions. And if you're selling quick solutions, that's what got us into this mess in the first place. People thinking that they're taking shortcuts when in the end it's really costing us all. I got no quick and easy weight loss pills for America. I've got no 30-day smoothie cleanse that we should get on that's going to just all pull us out of this. All I've got is all 320 million of us, let's quit stuffing ourselves full of the junk that's putting us here. That is making selfish choices that are slightly selfish enough to just build our own empire, build our own agenda, and put ourselves first. And let's start putting other people first. Let's believe that it's possible to have a healthy society and let's start to undo the choices that we've all collectively made that oppress some groups of people and exalt other groups of people. I'm going to start with me um, because that's the only place where I can start. Listen, one of my problems is I've, for so long, just as a consumer, I've taken the shortcuts. I was in a store the other day in Tennessee, and my daughter needed some flip-flops. This store that I was in was really cool. It was on the uh, river where they had canoeing, and they you could rent kayaks and all that stuff. And the cool thing about this store, it was just a little local, unique place. And about the only thing they sold in there that was name-brand at all was a few sodas and candies, but the rest of the store was like... All locally grown produce or, you know, uh, jelly and jam. And um, they had clothes in there that were sold by small companies. I had never heard of any of the brands in there. And it was such a cool little place. But it was pretty expensive. And my daughter needed a pair of flip-flops. And I was looking at some because they had some in there. They were $24 for a pair of flip-flops. And so my problem was, I walked by that immediately and I rolled my eyes and I was like, no way, I can't pay $24 for a pair of flip-flops. And I went the next day and we bought some at Walmart for like a dollar. Now, look, you and I both know that shortcuts had to be made to buy a dollar pair of flip-flops. But you know what, I thought about it later and I thought, but if I paid $24 for that local company that's doing good in the world and treat they can actually have a living wage Uh, i you know i don't know how all of that works i can't guarantee that but look i've made choices like that throughout my life as a consumer um i've done lots of things over the years and i'm trying more and more to be a person who puts the earth and other people first who puts the future of this planet and the future of our people first. Here's the deal. We're living with 7 billion people now. There were like 2 billion people in the 1950s in the world. So we have increased threefold. That means we we are only entitled to one-third as much of this planet as we used to be entitled to only 60 years ago. We're going to have to be more selfless. We're going to have to be more sharing. We're going to have to start with ourselves and make choices that are going to produce the type of systems where people start connecting and start putting other people first and being less lonely and actually doing things for the good of society where we start moving forward. 
We are living in a culture of scarcity. And I'm going to expound on that in the next one. I'm going to do one more podcast on this. And I'm going to expound on what scarcity is. But when we're living in a culture of scarcity, we will turn on each other. We will devour and bite each other and argue and bicker because we've taken our eyes off of the real goal, which is to do something meaningful with our lives. If it doesn't start with you, it doesn't work. But I think we can each start with ourselves. And I've got a lot of hope for this country of 320 million people. You know, if we um, start to do things for different reasons, then that big gear that's driving all of the other gears, it starts to be turned by a different motivation. Right now, what's turning it all is greed. It's self-interest. It's turning that big gear And the opposite of greed, I call it love. It's putting other people first. It's putting other people above yourselves. And when we start to love and make that the foundational premise behind every small choice that we make, then slowly and slowly that gear starts to turn down, slow down and turn the other direction. And we start to turn all of the gears the opposite way. And all of those little gears that used to produce all of these terrible results like shootings and things like that all start to have an opposite outcome of what they used to have. And we no longer have to bite each other and yell at each other and bicker and debate over all of the little outcomes in the world and how we're going to control them all because they're no longer a problem. If we can turn the big gear in the opposite direction, what could we do with our society? Maybe we could just start to take a step towards being healthy. You know, this is not like a new idea. Um, 2,000 years ago, there were a bunch of people talking about a different way to live. They called it the kingdom of God. And I really believe that that's what it's about. That's what it looks like when people start to live the way we were created to live, to live with purpose and an intention that's bigger than just me. It turns the whole thing around. And I've got hope, y'all. Let's not give up that it's actually possible to create a society this way. And all it takes is all of us to change our hearts and put the important things first. I got a dream that one day that's going to be our society and that one day it's going to lead us back to all of these healthy ends. Thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate you letting me get these things off my chest. Take care. God bless.